We are no longer a place that um, takes life or is a place that life is uninhabitable. But God, we are redeemed. We are fulfilled in and through you. And God, that allows us to have um, joy, happiness. God, it is beyond our understanding because it is through you. We thank you for that today. In your name we pray. Amen. In baseball, the players have to run the bases in the right direction, counterclockwise. If a player doesn't do it properly, it doesn't count. They never run the bases backwards because the order matters. But we've all seen kids run the bases backwards in a little league game, and it's kind of cute, even funny. But it's not funny or cute in Major League Baseball or in the game of life. It's important to run the bases in the right order, in the right direction counterclockwise. That means we live in a way counter to the world, opposite of what the world does. If we're ever going to experience a home run life and score, when we can't score, we're tempted to cheat. In baseball, cheating can look like spitballs, corked bats, uh, stealing the science from other teams, lots of different things. And the pressure to get results can lead people to cheat. And the same is true in the game of life. The pressure to get our way to get something that we want, to even succeed or get ahead, can lead us to cheat in life. But true results, true competency, depends on how we get to third base. Well, hello, Heritage. This is week five of Home Run Life, and I am stoked and excited because God has been doing some crazy cool things among our Heritage family over the past four weeks, and this weekend is no different. I want to welcome all of you, give a greeting to our Bettendorf family, QC West family, those online as we join you here from Rock Island. Thanks for being part of this time together. In a few moments, we're going to get into the Word of God. In fact, if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to Genesis chapter 41, you can get there, put your thumb in it. We'll get there in a bit because we are on a journey to understand God's pattern, His pattern for how we live a home run life. And the reality is God wants us to live a home run life. In fact, He sent Jesus so our lives can be different. It was Jesus Himself said in John chapter 10, verse 10, He said, I have come that they may have life. I have come that they may have life, and not just any kind of life, but life to the full. Our God wants us to live life to the full. He wants us to have an abundant life, that kind of home run life. And quite honestly, we want that kind of life too. We want significance and success over obscurity and failure. We don't want to strike out. We, we want the good over the bad. We want to succeed so much so that we will spend significant time, energy, and effort doing whatever we can so that we can do anything and everything in order to be successful. But in that paradigm, we end up living under such tremendous pressure to perform. That pressure to perform pushes us to a place where we, leave, we lose perspective on what's important in life. We lose sight of our sense of worth and, and significance. And we end up doing things we never thought we'd do. We sacrifice our integrity we sacrifice our family. We sacrifice our eternity to be successful. 
and life gets messy. We all want a home run life, but very few people get it because there are no shortcuts in the spiritual journey. There's no shortcuts in the spiritual journey, and that's your first fill-in if you're following along in your sermon notes guide. There is no shortcut in the spiritual journey. We all want that home run life, but only God can give it. Our career, our success, our ability to provide for our family, all those things have value. They matter, but how we chase them matters more. How we chase them matters more. See, the reason that many of us struggle uh, as we look for purpose in life is we're looking in the wrong places. We're looking in the wrong things. We, we think that it's about us. We think that we, we can do it. We can perform in a way. We think we have the power to live a home run life, but we don't. In fact, we never have and we never will. It's not within us. God says it's within him. He has the power. And he has a different plan for how we're to live. In fact, he says, look, I created life. I created work. I want you to have joy in your work. I want you to succeed in your work. But that only comes when you live by my design, when you live according to my game plan. And when you and I don't understand that, we will end up struggling in this life on lots of levels because our purpose is found in our creator, not in our career. Our purpose is found in him who created us, not in the career that we serve in. And therefore, as a result, we need to seek to, to live and to work, first and foremost, for him as creator. In fact, let's take a moment and kind of revisit the creator's game plan. What, what he says is how we live a home run life. Now, no matter who you are or where you're at in your life journey, there are only four areas that God wants you to win in. Just four. And they all start and end in one place. And then for our purposes, we're starting and ending at home plate. Home plate is where we connect with God. It's where we step into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And we receive purpose. And we receive power. This is what happens at first base. This is second, or at home plate. This is where we win dependence on him. When we step into relationship with him. We receive purpose and we receive power. And that power positions us to be able to run the rest of the bases. In fact, it's that power that allows us to proceed to first base and really lean into the area of character. What area? Character of, area of what? Character. This is, where we, this is where we win within. It's the issue of integrity, and this is where most people get thrown out. Most people get thrown out in those character battles, but it's the power of God within us that allows us to win at this base and then proceed to second base, which is the area of community. Which area? This is where we win with others. This is where we spent a lot of time last week, and if you've missed any part of this journey, I encourage you to go to heritageqc.com, click the media tab, and you can see what you've missed. But when we win with others, then we are able to proceed to third base, and third base is that competence base. This is where we're dealing with our winning results, it's performance, and from there we can proceed back around to home plate where we once again receive the power and purpose that we need to, to live in this life. That is God's game plan. That is his pattern. There is a pattern that God has, and there's a pattern that the world has. And it was Paul, the first missionary and church planter, who said, we're not to conform to the pattern of the world. It was Romans 12, verse 2. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We can know God's will. We can understand his purpose, and we can live life to the full. The problem is we live in a culture here in North America where performance is everything. It's performance-driven. Success is determined by what we do. 
Success is money and career, and that then also not only defines, that performance not only defines success, it defines how we relate to people, who we relate to, why we relate to them. And then it also wants to influence and define our moral choices. And we'll lie and we'll cheat to maintain results. And we do those things we never thought we would do. And we end up in a paradigm where everything is based on results. And we have no time for others, no time for ourselves, and no time for God. We don't have any time. No time for church, let alone daily prayer and scripture reading. But whenever we run to third base first, we're out. Because there are no shortcuts in the spiritual journey. In fact, when we go from home plate, we hit the ball and we run to third base first, that's called little league. And it's only funny when little kids do it. But our culture says that when we go to third base and back to home, that's a home run. Getting results, that's a home run. But whenever we do that, we end up cheating every other base. We cheat others, we cheat ourselves, and we cheat God. We cheat our marriages. Oh, we deprive them of the time, energy, and communication they need to survive, let alone thrive. We'll sacrifice our family. We'll sacrifice our health and our reputation to maintain results. Listen, this is a battle we all have to fight. In fact, this is a conversation, this kind of conversation that Beth and I have to have all the time. Because the deal is, ministry, ministry will take everything I have to give and then ask for more. And it's God's work. It's important, right? But listen, there, there are no shortcuts in the spiritual journey. Not even for pastors. Reminds me of a joke. Any avid golfers? If you're an avid golfer any of our locations, raise your hand. Put them up there. Be proud. All right. Okay, you guys will especially appreciate this. Uh, a pastor was an avid golfer, loved to golf. The problem was, anytime he had a day off... It was raining, but on Sundays it was beautiful. And he made a commitment to preach and not play on Sundays. And he was frustrated, but this went on for just weeks and got more and more frustrated. And God wasn't changing the scenario. Every day off it was raining. Every day on Sunday when he was working and serving in the church, it was beautiful. Finally, he got fed up with it, just got sick of it. He said, God, if you're not going to do anything about it, I will. And he does the wrong thing. He calls up his assistant and says, hey, I'm not going to be there this weekend. Hangs up. Calls up the assistant pastor, said, hey, I want you to know you need to preach because I can't make it. Hangs up. Saturday night, drives three hours away so nobody will know who he is. Gets up the next morning. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. The, green, just, the greens are perfect. Nobody's on the course at all. He gets up on the first hole. He tees off, hits that ball 280 yards right down the middle of the fairway. Beautiful. Pars the first hole. He goes on to par the next few holes. Gets three birdies along the way. He's having the greatest golf game of his life. He gets all the way to the last hole. He tees off and he gets a hole in one. He's beside himself. He's never had such a, uh, just a crazy cool, spectacular golf game. He picks up his ball and says, God, I cannot believe what you're doing for me. I thought you would make my life and this day miserable. And God said, I did. He said, how? God said, who are you going to tell? <laughs> Look. The pressure, there's a very real pressure to chase results the wrong way. How we chase them matters. And to conform to the way of this world and do the things the way the world does compromises our ability to live as God wants us to live. But when we step into relationship with Jesus, we can live differently. We can live differently. We can see the world differently. And we can actually know his will. 
We can know his good, pleasing, and perfect will, and we can live life to the full, and we can experience his best in this life. But too often, we can get this wrong. We can make a mistake at third base that costs us more than we realize. Kind of like what happens in this video, where the end, it kind of ends in this baseball game in a very unusual way because of how third base was handled. Check this out. A pitch coming from Andrew White, and it's in the left field for a base hit. Now it skips past the left fielder, and all the way to the fence. Hawaii's going to score two runs in the tying run. Young will be at second. Do score. You got, hey, did he miss third? You weren't looking. Did you think he did? Who? Which one? Which one? The first guy or the second guy? No, not the first guy. Which one? The second guy? Okay, so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to step off, and you're going to, when he says play, you're going to step off, you're going to throw it to Cole, nice and easy, and you're going to say that the second runner missed the bag. And they call him out, and the game's over! Unbelievable! Northern California on an appeal play ends the game, and they're headed to Williamsport! saw no argument from the third base coach for Hawaii. He just walked off the field. He must have known. Well, now he's... Did he miss it or not? Wow. Really tough to tell. We'll give Northern California credit for recognizing it All right, come and here, working come here. the appeal come play. Here. Come here. Wow. Come here. So the game will end 7-5, Northern California. Here's the appeal, and the third base umpire, Steve Bailey, says yes. He missed it, and the game ends that way. Did you see that? Look, if you're not a baseball player, you missed exactly what's happening in this deal. That young man overran third, didn't touch third base, and it determined the outcome of the game. Points came off the board, he was out. Just throwing the ball back to third. Look, how we handle third base determines the outcome of the game. How we chase and pursue third base realities matters. We think it doesn't, but it does, and it can affect more than we, more than we understand. See, too often, even those who, who seek God and follow Jesus can get this pattern and this game plan wrong where we actually believe a lie. We actually start to break it down and separate it. We hear this verse, you know, that whole do not conform to the pattern of this world. We hear that. And so we change a few things in a couple pockets of our life, but, but we don't allow God to transform our thinking and change our life completely. And so we end up living a life that's lesser than the kind of life God wants to have for us. See, what we end up doing is kind of basically this. We'll, we'll look at this life and, and this scenario, and we say, okay, we'll label this as a, a secular and we'll label this as sacred, and we'll want to draw a line right down the middle and say, this is the sacred, or this is the secular that has nothing to do with God, and this is the sacred that does have stuff to do with God. And so our purpose is found in our professional investments, and so our professional relationships is where we have that significance. And so this is the stuff that matters on a, on a day-in, day-out basis, especially at work. But it needs to stay in its lane just like the stuff of God needs to stay in its lane because we got God and then we deal with good morality things, okay, and then we have our family. And these two should never mix. We keep the sacred separate from the secular. 
But that's the pattern of the world. See, the reality is they're not separate. God is the creator of the entire diamond. And it's all sacred. And instead of saying, I spend Sundays with God and I, I do right things with my family, but through the rest of the week and in other paradigms and scenarios, I do something different. We miss out on home run life when we do that separation of the sacred and the secular. Because it's all sacred. Who we are with God, who we are with our family, and who we are at work, it's all part of the same thing. They're not separated. And if we don't understand the difference between the, when they're separated and not, we don't understand the difference between running the bases backwards or forwards, we miss out. And the difference is huge, friends. It's huge. One of my personal mentors, Kevin Myers, who actually wrote the book Home Run Life and refined this baseball analogy, says the difference between running the bases forward and running the bases backwards is the difference between a steak and a cow patty. Steak and a cow patty, they, they both come from the same thing, right? They both come from a cow. One sizzles, one stinks. And we're, all, we're all chasing the same thing, right? We're running the same bases, we're trying to live life to the full, but we get different results. And if you're making the purpose of your life your career, if career is the purpose of your life, then you will, you will be living a cow patty kind of life. But if you make God the purpose and center of your life, then you'll be living a steak kind of life, life to the full. See, the unfortunate thing for many of us, many Christians, is that we come to God and we ask him to bless a backwards running life, running the bases backwards, which really might explain why when you look across our culture, and our, that there's very little difference between Christians and non-Christians in, in divorce rate, in, in addiction realities, in sexual activity, in character issues, and just peace and hope in the world. Very little difference. Statistically, there's very small differences between the two. And it may just be the reality that we're just trying to ask God to bless a backwards-running life. But listen, God doesn't keep score the way we do. He doesn't look at the things of this world and keep score the way we do. His definition of a win is different than ours. He cares about results. He measures results. And, and he cares what happens in life, especially when it relates to people. But we, you and I, we often measure the wrong things. Well, let's just go back to the life of Joseph for a moment and understand his journey a little bit in, in relationship to what really a win looks like. See, we've been on this journey with Joseph where we've been looking at his life, understanding that, that he started out uh, kind of as a, a rich young kid with a little bit of uh, arrogance in him, but he was the favored son of Jacob, and he had fancy clothes, and God even showed him favor by giving him visions of what, what would to come, but, but his brothers were jealous, and they finally got sick of it to the point that they hated him, and he ends up in a pit, stripped of everything that he had, everything. He ends up being sold into slavery. In that place, he starts to learn to win dependence, and, and out of that, God places him in, a, in, a, in the home of a man named Potiphar, who's a military leader in Egypt, and, and, and in Potiphar's house, he gives, he's given authority to run everything in the house. Potiphar didn't care about anything but except what Potiphar was going to eat. He let Joseph run it all. And so in that season, Joseph had all this success, but somewhere along the way, Potiphar's wife started to be attracted to him, made some sexual advances to him, and even though Joseph made the right decision and said no and ran away to win that first base character battle, he ends up in prison. And he doesn't just end up in prison for a little bit of time. He ends up in prison for years. Until he's given the opportunity to come before Pharaoh and interpret one of the dreams that Pharaoh had. Now God gives him the ability to do that. And as a result, Pharaoh promotes Joseph in one day from the prison to the palace. Here's what he said in, in Genesis 41. Pharaoh responds to Joseph. He says, this is verse 41 in chapter 41. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. 
Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as a second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! And in verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Friends, only God can move a person from the prison to the palace in one day and bring that kind of result. Because in a home run life, the results are by God, through God, and for God. But for some reason, he wants to include us in it. For some reason, he allows us to be part of it. But the deal is you've got to understand God doesn't keep score the way we do or the way the world does. You know, often in Christian circles, we like to quote a particular scripture in, how, in, in, a, in a means of helping us deal with difficult circumstances. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's a great verse. Love the verse. Powerful truth. But we often misapply it. We misapply it. Because we'll, we'll do this. We'll come over to a scenario like this and we'll say, okay, um, this up here is good stuff. This down here is bad stuff. And we want to divide it through here and we say, this stuff, the good things in life are the will of God and the bad things in life are not the will of God. The, those difficult, unfair things aren't God's will. But the deal is, you look at Joseph's life, everything that Joseph experienced, God either allowed or orchestrated. And when you start to understand that, that'll mess with your head. Because here's Joseph saying no to Potiphar's wife, and he ends up in prison. But we would say he got the wrong results. He got a bum deal. Things didn't work out for him. But the reality was God was positioning him to years later to be able to step into a place where God could bring greater glory to himself. God doesn't keep score the way we do. He defines a win differently. I wonder what difficulty or hardship you're facing right now that God wants to use to bring a greater good. But you just don't see it yet. Don't lose sight of the fact that God doesn't keep score like we do. See, he seeks our holiness over our happiness. And he works all things for the good of those who love him. All things. And Joseph loved him, and God brought him through pits and prisons into results that only God could bring. And you and I need to understand that. We need to understand that God doesn't remove our hardship. He redeems it. God does not remove our hardship. He redeems it. He doesn't remove it. He what? He redeems it. See, redeem is to buy back, to exchange. And God doesn't replace what we lose. But he invites us to more. He doesn't remove our hardship. He doesn't simply replace it. He restores us to more in it. And when you and I get this, when we understand that concept, then we stop asking God, where is he in whatever we're facing? Where are you in this, God? We stop asking that, and we start asking him to reveal himself in it. God, show me where you're at in this. How to bring glory to you in it. See, he's the author of success. And he doesn't replace what we lose. And we might be surprised to understand what, what we can endure when we see him in it. He is our provider. And sometimes we mistakenly say that success leads to significance. But that's third base running to first base. Instead of the other way around where our significance in Jesus 
leads us to the success that God wants to bring. That's doing home base first, second, third. You know, we know Joseph understood this by a couple of different things, but one in particular was how he named his children. So we know in Genesis chapter 41, verse 50, that Joseph had two sons prior to the famine. And he named them Manasseh and Ephraim. Because, Manasseh, because it's because God has made me forget all my trouble. And Ephraim, because God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. See, God didn't remove it. He redeemed it. And he wants to do the same for you. I wonder what trouble or suffering God wants to redeem in your life. What pain, what loss. But your mistakes at third base, or second, <laughs> or first, or even way back at home plate, are preventing him from doing it. See, God doesn't remove hardship, he redeems it. You know, Joseph's story wasn't over when Pharaoh put him second in charge over all of Egypt. God still had more results to bring. In fact, it was the second year of the famine. So Joseph took charge at the age of 30, seven years of plenty, two years of fam famine. He's 39 years old. 22 years later from the point that his brothers threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. 22 years. At that point, Jacob, Joseph's dad, sends Joseph's brothers to Egypt to get food because they're struggling in the famine. So Joseph's brothers come into Egypt. They come in before Jacob. They don't recognize him, but they bow down to him because he's in charge. And in that moment, that dream at the age of 17 is fulfilled. They don't recognize him, but Joseph does recognize them. And there's some really neat exchange that happens over the next few chapters in Genesis. Joseph's testing his brothers, messing with them a little bit. But then, in chapter 45, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and this is what he says. Verse 4, come close to me. When they had done so, he said to them, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed... And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. This is a powerful moment where God starts to redeem those deep wounds from 22 years prior. Now God doesn't keep score the way we do, nor look at time the way we do. There are a number of things that I think we can learn just from this part of the story, but I want to point out a simple truth that I think is reflected in all of Joseph's journey and comes out in home run life. It's that position without process is about significance and not service. Position without process is about significance, not service. See, we want fast results. Our world is increasingly oriented toward immediate gratification, fast outcomes, big payoffs with very little process. It's a culture of the instant. It includes how we pursue prominence and significance. But God grows us differently. He does it over time. He does it through a process. And at the core of that process is not about our significance, but it's about service. It's about what he can accomplish in and through us for his glory. It's not about us, it's about him. And until we understand that, we're living the opposite of a state kind of life. See, we tend to seek positions of prominence and influence and importance without humility. When we do that, it's about us. 
our significance rather than service. It's, a, it's not about others. It's not about God. That, that's when we're really running to third base first. We, seeking a position without process, without the journey, is, is being a third base runner. But when we're not willing to sit in pits and prisons where God refines our character and teaches us to value others more than we value ourselves, then we're not ready or able to be trusted with position. We need to know it's not about us first. It was a number of years ago, many years ago, more than a decade ago, that I heard James Dobson talk about that when you see a turtle on a fence post, you know they didn't get there on their own. Somebody had to put them there. And I loved the imagery so much. It resonated so deeply with me that I actually caught a turtle one day, put it on a post, and took a picture. So let me show you that picture. Here it is. (laughs) He wasn't very happy, but I was because this imagery for me, this picture has been in my office for 10 years or more. And it is a constant reminder that I am nothing apart from God that I can do nothing without him, but with him all things are possible, that any position I am in, any place, of, any place of service I'm in is because he has chosen to put me there. It reminds me that there's process to get there, that position without process is about significance and not service, and if we go to third base, we end up thinking we put ourselves on a post. And Joseph knew that wasn't the case. See, when, when his father Jacob died, when his father Jacob died, his brothers were afraid. This is really just sad. Because this, this happened, like, Joseph was like 56 years old at this point. And it's been like 39 years from that pit moment at the age of 17. But his brothers are still scared. So when, Jake, when Jacob died, they, they, they kind of tell him, this, they give him this little message about, hey, don't hurt us kind of thing. And, and it breaks Joseph's heart. That they're, they're still stuck in that, that they haven't accepted and living in his forgiveness that he's offered. But then he goes on to say something. I want you to listen to it. This is the depth of perspective and maturity that Joseph has at this point. Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Let me just pause there. Am I in the place of God? Am I on the post because he put me here? Did God position me? Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. What if everything we experience in life can be redeemed by the creator of life when we live according to his purposes and according to his pattern? By his power, for his purpose. You see, Joseph's thing, his results, there's a whole nother next level of result that came out of this journey for him. Because just just being in charge in Egypt, second in command, that wasn't it. The next thing, God took him to a whole nother level as he stayed in that home run life pattern. It was the being positioned to save the people by which the Messiah would come. So that you and I would be able to be offered life through Jesus, a home run life through Jesus. That's the kind of God-sized result, the thing he can't even begin to imagine that God wants to position us for, but he can when we submit to his purpose and his plan. And it all comes back to home plate. Because Joseph was able to say, look, you intended this stuff for harm, but it's not about me. It's about God. And he gets the glory. He's the one in all of it, pits and prisons, all the way through. It's it's him and him alone. Look, if any of us are ever going to live a home-run life, we have to figure out what counts on the last day. You know, everything of this life is going to pass away at some point. Everything's going to die, it's going to break, it's going to rot, it's going to burn. But souls don't. 
There's only two things that don't pass away. The word of God and people. And your last day on earth is your first day in eternity. Doesn't matter where you stand with God. All of us, our last day on earth is our first day in eternity. And you want to know what counts on that day. In fact, I would encourage you to figure out what counts on that final day so that you know what to count every other day. Because what counts on the last day counts today. It matters now. And knowing what counts on that last day enables us to know what to pursue today, what results to chase, how to chase them in accordance with God's purpose and plan and his pattern. Rick Warren once said that the greatest tragedy is not death but life without purpose. I think he's right. So what? What do we do? Well, I just want to ask you a question. It's where is your way of counting? Where is your way of keeping score? Where is your way of chasing results costing you? Costing you in this life or the next? Maybe it's wrong priorities and, and you're cheating the more important things of life. Your, your spouse, your family, yourself, or God. Where is your way of counting or chasing results costing you? Maybe it's in the area of forgiveness. You, you continue to struggle with forgiving what you can't forget. And now you can't get past second base. Or maybe you're just not, not yet willing to let God define you. You're willing to let him save you, but not define you. And so he's not defining success in your life. He's not really defining much. You've limited him. You know, the world would say that Joseph should have been vindicated, that the, that the Egyptian news or the Sphinx press should have had headline banner, Joseph exonerated, Mrs. Potiphar jailed, ordered to pay restitution. Oh, and ten brothers. <laughs> but that's the world. And when we live for Jesus, we don't just let him save us, we let him define us. Even when it's not fair. I imagine that there's some of us here today who have not yet done that, surrendered in a way where you let him define you. And therefore, you're spiritually unresolved. Maybe you haven't, you haven't given your life to Jesus, and therefore you don't have a relationship with God. You, you haven't surrendered to Christ, you haven't found forgiveness, you haven't entered the promise of eternal life, and you've not begun to walk with God. I want you to know you can. Today, right now, where you're at, you can. In fact, there's a prayer on the back of your sermon note guide, very bottom, that is the beginning point for that. And this is not about saying a prayer. This is about the sincerity of our heart as we position ourselves in dependence on God at home plate. In fact, let me just read it to you. It says, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life. Help me to do your will. I give all I am to all of you. In your name I pray. Amen. I can't pray that prayer for you, and the church can't save you. You have to be the one that prays that prayer. You have to be the one that surrenders your will. You have to be the one who invites Jesus into your life to be able to live life to the full. Wherever you are, whatever you have done, or whatever has been done to you, God wants to redeem it. He wants to invite you to more, to live life to the full, but you have to choose to receive it. It was the brother of Jesus, James, who wrote these words in James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I want to encourage you today, wherever you're at in your journey, to live according to his unchanging pattern. If you do, you will see him change what you thought was unchangeable in your life. You will see him redeem what you thought was unredeemable. Because the deal is, God will fight for you. In whatever you're facing, God will fight for you. You need only to be still. And let him and his power, in quietness and trust, give you strength. So that he can bring the results he wants to bring. He brings the kind of God-sized results that ripple into eternity. And if you're still here, he's not done with you. But what are you going to do with that opportunity? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have today to come before your throne because of Jesus. I thank you for the gift of new life that we have from him. I thank you that you didn't leave us in the pits and prisons and that even when we're there, you're with us. I thank you that through him we can have not just life, but life to the full. And I pray as my brothers and sisters process through how they're dealing with third base realities, how they're processing how they chase results and where they're letting you redeem and not redeem things and experiences. God, I pray you'd speak. And I pray that we would not just be satisfied with the outcomes and see you a little bit more, but that you would be glorified through our life. That you'd be able to do far more than we can ever ask or imagine in response to our submission to you. So may your will be done, Father. May your glory be revealed. May your kingdom come. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.